Parallel Quest is a podcast of Steel Lake Studio. Please head over to our website, steellakestudio.com, where you can find out a little bit more about us. And if you'd like to stay updated on all of our latest releases and everything we're doing, consider signing up for our email list. You can do so in the description of this episode. We want to thank Audible for sponsoring this episode. Audible is a fantastic service where you can get premium audio content in the forms of audiobooks and audio dramas. They do a really nice job. There are thousands of titles to choose from, spanning a wide variety of different genres. And you can claim your free audiobook today with our code by heading to audibletrial.com slash parallelquest. Again, that's audibletrial.com slash parallelquest to get your free audiobook today. And this is a really exciting episode for us because in today's episode, our main topic is the Matrix. We talk about philosophy, we talk about the filmmaking, we talk about how movies can be confusing at first and when they make sense, how that's kind of a fun thing to experience for the first time. This is a fun story to talk about. We really enjoyed it when we were younger and have fond memories of it and think that it holds up decently well today. We hope you enjoy this episode of Parallel Quest. Welcome to Parallel Quest, a podcast where two friends talk about the stories we love and tell the personal stories of the impact they have had on our lives. I am one of your hosts, Cody Haggard, and alongside, or maybe more accurately said, across the internet from me, my great friend and co-host, Zach Butler. Zach, how are you doing today? What up, Cody? I am awesome, man. Super excited about the topic today. It is the movie that made wearing leather cool again, so I'm always always ready for a discussion of that but how are you doing dude i'm doing well made wearing leather cool again that's very interesting i've never been a leather wearer are you a leather wearer (laughs) you listen i think there's something to be said about a cool leather jacket i think that's probably the only appropriate leather (laughs) article of clothing someone should be wearing Uh, at least nowadays but i know in the 80s leather was like the thing man so yeah i mean might as well not let the whole cow go to waste. Exactly. Right? You know, we're we're eating all the hamburgers at uh, fast food restaurants. Might as well. Yeah. Might as well use the the skin and and wear the the clothes. What's what's better than going and eating a fast food hamburger and having a leather jacket? Having a that leather is, jacket, maybe some leather pants. That is America leather pants, man. Oh my god. Could they have come up with like a more uncomfortable? article of clothing like leather pants just i can't imagine just how hot and sweaty and just like because like leather is not stretchy it's it's a really firm fabric so no, i just can't imagine yeah, much exactly. mobility in, in the pair of leather pants so <laughs> i think you know what i think when i think of wearing leather i actually i actually don't think of the matrix initially i think of a movie from Really early in my childhood, George of the Jungle. You ever seen George of the Jungle? George of the Jungle? No. Okay. So there's this part, the bad guys in the movie, they show up and they're in the jungle in Africa, right? You know, you have Mm -hmm. the humid climate in the midst of the jungle and the bad guys show up wearing all leather. (laughs) And 
in the jungle and the guy's talking about how hot he is and the other bad guy's like i told you to wear cotton man i told you it's cotton breeze cotton breeze and so every time i think of people wearing leather i think of george of the jungle and the guy's saying cotton breeze it is a yeah it's definitely a more aerated fabric than leather that's for mm-hmm. sure yes <laughs> Yes, I'm. I'm excited to talk about uh, our main topic today. Our main topic is the Matrix, and we're gonna get we're gonna get there relatively quick. But we're gonna start off with an intro game. I made a, a quick little intro game, and this is going to be for Zach. Zach, I'm going to ask you ten random questions. They are either or questions, so you're gonna pick one thing or the other, and they're pretty quick. And the quicker your response, the more fun this game will be. And mm. I don't think you'll have to think too long about some of these responses, but. I'm going to try and catch you off guard with with some of the questions, okay? Okay. So, all right, here we go. We're going to start off. Question number one. Question number one for Zach. Fried rice or white rice? Fried rice. All right. It's a Saturday night. You're in a cabin. You don't have anything with you entertainment-wise. You can only do one of two things. You either watch the Twilight movies or read Fifty Shades of Grey. Twilight movies. Mario or Luigi? Dude, I I love Luigi. Luigi, I, taco yeah. or burrito? Um, definitely taco. Okay, boxers or briefs? Boxers. <laughs> I don't think I've worn briefs since I was like ten. <laughs> Sorry, that was kind of a personal. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's good. No, I, I guess everyone now knows okay, okay, my okay. of choice. All right. All right, you pick an intellectual property, the one that you don't pick just disappears from existence okay oh, okay lord of the rings or star wars oh you suck dude oh star wars <laughs> lord of the rings is gone it's gone oh. man i love Dang. star wars i know oh, man all right all right all right romantic comedy or romance drama romantic comedy you're traveling what do you prefer flying or driving driving all right here's another question intellectual property the one you pick stays and everyone loves and the one that you don't pick disappears forever Uh, the hunger games or the divergent series oh geez oh divergent series (laughs) i hate the (laughs) hunger games this thing is i tell i want to keep the first book in the hunger hunger games i get that the whole thing goes away but if i could keep keep the first one i'd be happy but get rid of the rest of it okay all right all right this last one's gonna be a really tough choice for you you ready mm-hmm. popeyes or chick-fil-a <laughs> chick-fil-a <laughs> you know you know where it's uh, at yeah i just uh, was making sure you know making yeah. sure you're staying on the straight and narrow exactly my loyalty <laughs> my loyalty loyalty is definitely still with chick-fil-a man mm-hmm that was good. Awesome. That was good. I'm sorry about Lord of the Rings, dude. I, I That's know. okay. It's all right. <laughs> that one that really probably let... hurt you more than it hurt me. <laughs> you really let me down there. <laughs> oh, man. Could never watch Lord of the Rings again. That's right. All, Nothing. All because of a game. Yeah, well. <laughs> <laughs> ah, so how'd you like the game? How'd you like the little 10 random questions? I like that, man. I, I think okay. I think people definitely found out a little, little more about my maybe my wardrobe and also some of my eating preferences. <laughs> yeah, that's true. That's true. Oh man. Very good. Very good. You know, I was, I was thinking, I was thinking I knew the answers to most of those things. I think the one that, uh, surprised me the most was probably uh, taco or burrito. 
Dude, I love um, tacos. I love hard shell tacos too. Okay, love tacos. See, I've been, I've been uh, getting tacos more recently from Chipotle, and I've I've just really been enjoying it. Mm. And I I don't I don't know if I'll ever go back to a burrito. Yeah, I, I really enjoyed the thing I really is, enjoy the tacos. You definitely get more food for your dollar getting a burrito. Like you do, yeah. You pack sure. out the tacos, but only so much, and then it's just like I'm eating a salad with tortilla chips but with the burrito it's definitely more the more value for your dollar i think all overall and this is coming from someone who works at chick-fil-a i think i think chipotle is your best food like what you get for what you pay like you get so much food and they just pile it on most of it's completely free to add and they don't yeah. charge you for extra other than like protein. Right. So right. Yeah. it's like, I'll just pile on the greens and salsa and stuff. And I'm, I'm set for the whole day. Yeah. I, and too, like another thing about tacos is I have found, I feel less gross after eating tacos <laughs> than, you know, I've basically eaten a football and it's mm. it's settling in my stomach. And yeah, <laughs> yeah. Like, oh, Got man. that food baby in there. <laughs> that that last that last like eighth or so of the burrito is. I'm start. I know I'm starting to get old, and I need to start exercising and get my metabolism up because that last eighth of the burrito, I force myself to eat it, but it's it's like painful. There's mm. like, there's like physical pain going on in my in my body and my jaws and and everything. It's, yeah. it's kind of like it's an exercise in and of itself. Yeah, yeah. The the pains <laughs> so, of getting older. Ah, uh, yes, the pains of getting older. And you know, speaking of getting older, it's been a long time since uh, this movie we're talking about has been relevant. And I, I recently went back and watched it, and I, I have to be honest, it's aged okay. I wouldn't say it's aged well. It's aged mm. okay. But today we're talking about a a, a really huge. Uh, cultural landmark in filmmaking mm-hmm. and that is the matrix we're talking about the matrix today a movie that really took the action genre and did some really neat things with it it it, it did some unique things that weren't really being done in action movies and it did a lot of things that were being done in action movies and made this interesting film that yeah. was super successful so zach let's start talking about the matrix yeah so Little little background, little history on it. It's for those that may have not seen this movie or don't know too much about it, which is still so kind of surprises me today that the Matrix for how how like you said how much of a landmark film this was. There's still people that are our age that have not seen it, and so right. it's not as it, did, it hasn't permeated our culture as much as I thought it did, even though it is a huge franchise. It's just not as big as I thought it was. But so for those that aren't familiar, it is a science fiction action film, which depicts a dystopian future where all of human life is unknowingly trapped inside of a computer simulated reality known as the Matrix. And in this real quote unquote real world, humans are used or the real the actual real world, I guess, is the humans are used as fuel for an evil race of robots that 
plug people into the matrix and people that are in the matrix live perfectly normal lives that we're currently living like today. And so this is interesting that this was the simulation theory was a thing back in the nineties, the late nineties, because there were a bunch of things happening that we'll get to, but I thought it was interesting doing some research on this again, because this theory is kind of resurfaced again it's resurfaced and it's it's disturbing to me yeah how many people get excited about the simulation theory and it's just like come on guys we need to we need to be a little bit more in tune with our philosophy a little more sophisticated and our, yeah and our history here exactly so it's interesting that it's come back but the matrix was certainly not the first to pose that theory there have been other stories and science fiction short stories before the matrix that kind of dealt with this this uh, trope of you're not in the real world. You're just kind of plugged into a computer and the real world's out there somewhere. So in the matrix, go ahead. Can I ask you a question about simulation theory? And, and for, for those who are listening, this, this might get somewhat philosophical, some somewhat religious, but my quick question for you, Zach, is do you think people are drawn to that? We're living in a simulation or that we're, kind of all being controlled by maybe it's an alien race. Like that's kind of the new version of it. Like aliens have created a simulation and whatnot. Do you think it's because people want to believe that if there is some type of overarching deity over our lives, they almost want to want to villainize that deity because the world's a, a tough place. Do you think so? I don't know. It's just a, a theory I hmm. think through in my head. Or do you think it's just that people just like to come up with crazy ideas. Um, I think that people that really subscribe to it are the people that look out over the landscape of the world as it is and has it's been in the past and they see it at they see it as a pessimistic event. They see it as a glass half full or half empty kind of deal. And I think in order to justify maybe even the own flaws in their own lives or just the craziness that's happening is like, this can't like real, the quote unquote real world, real life. um, We would take care of each other. It would be better than what we have right now. Mm -hmm. And so I think, I think you're right in the sense that they want to ascribe the evils of our world. And they want to put that on something otherworldly that has a malicious intent for humanity. And I, I, what I question with the simulation theory though, is like, if that is true, like an aliens or an alien race or whatever is running the simulation, like what is the simulation for, I guess, is it just to like, Hey, we're going to create this wacky world, diverse world with these bipedal creatures running it all. And we're just going to see what happens because like, are the aliens, do they look like us? Are they also robots like in the matrix or are they like the gray alien? Like, I don't. So that's my question is what's running it all. And I guess that's people who believe in the simulation theory would probably say, we don't know, but it could be that. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's almost like the, um, so where, where it kind of falls apart is that if we're living in a simulation and it's a malicious deity, or malicious intent aliens or whatever, why would they allow technology and history to progress to allow ourselves to be aware of being in a simulation? doesn't make any sense. Yeah. And, and so that's kind of where I think that 
the the logic doesn't make sense. If it's if it's a malicious creature, you would want to entrap these individuals and never let them be awoken to being in a simulation. You know, yeah. You know, then you'll with with awakening would become would come rebellion, right? And what's the point then? Well, I mean, we kind of are touching on the the storyline of the Matrix. Why would they? Yep. Why would they allow Neo, who's the protagonist of the Matrix, to become or Morpheus? Those even became those who went before him or were before him that got out. Why would they allow, if they control this world, people to awaken, quote unquote, awaken and come out of the Matrix? So they're mm-hmm. they're dealing. That's also kind of a plot hole within the Matrix of like, well, if this this world that's constructed by robots and AI. Like they obviously don't have that much control over what's going on then. So maybe that's a situation of the simulation theory is these these otherworldly aliens don't actually have the kind of control they thought they had on our simulation. And now there are people that are becoming aware of it, though. Like it's easy for Morpheus to prove to Neo that he's in a simulation because he can basically bend the physics of the computer generation but yeah. I don't know how you prove simulation theory <laughs> yeah, to other can. people. It's 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 a, it's a, the Matrix is a movie. That's not how the real world works. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, but anyway, so this theory though plays very heavily into the Matrix because it's basically what if that theory was real? And right. so, as I said, Neo is the protagonist of the matrix he's a computer programmer that lives within the matrix and he is pulled he's awakened to his false reality and pulled out of the matrix when he is discovered to be the quote-unquote the one who will free humanity and save the world from the robot overlord so within all of this we have the hero's journey and that's something that cody and i you and i talk about a lot on this show is the hero's journey and it's kind of this archetypal story that's told across time and across cultures and across peoples of all races. There's these heroes and stories that kind of all go through the same circle, the same trajectory. And so the Matrix is very much follows this, this uh, archetype to a T, which is why it's studied a lot in film classes and um for both the story and the story structure and the film the filmography it's it's studied yeah and it's one it's a film that i actually studied while i was in college because Ah. it told a lot of this hero's journey but it also pushed the boundaries of filmmaking so it was it was doing a lot it was a very big movie for the time and why it was also such a big movie for the time is because it was released March 31st, 1999, and is right there, right before the year 2000. And those of us that were alive back then to remember, we remember Y2K. Y2K, yeah, man. Now, what I want to ask you is, (laughs) did you have any family members or friends or relatives, anybody that you knew of that was a true y2k or that they were prepping for the apocalypse to happen no i did i did not a uh, funny story about that actually i didn't even know that this was a thing 
until New Year's Eve of, you know, 1999. Oh, man, and, dude, you were and <laughs> the final hour you were learning. About I this. was <laughs> right. Like it, what? A, what a way to live, right? That you find <laughs> out it could potentially be the last day of of the of the world on the last <laughs> right, day. Right. I mean, Wait, what? There's, there's no better way to experience it than than in total ignorance. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. <laughs> So, so my brother was watching me. He was babysitting me. He, uh, he, and he had some friends over. My parents went out and they did their, whatever parents did. They, they I, I can't remember where they went, but they were gone. And so it was me, my brother and a couple of his friends. And I remember they, <laughs> they had all the <laughs> lights off and everything was off in the house, except for the TV with the ball dropping down. And so, <laughs> They're counting down with the ball drop and the ball drops. And I remember as soon as the ball dropped, they go and they're testing all the lights and the water <laughs> and, you know, they reboot the computer, all, all this stuff. And I'm like, what's going on? Is this like what you do at New Year's? Like, okay, <laughs> this is weird. This is interesting. You know, they're putting fireworks off in Times Square. I guess, I guess you, uh, you just turn the lights on in the Midwest, <laughs> whatever. <laughs> right. Um, this is, this is our thing. And I was, I was loving it. You know, I was going in, I was just turning on the faucets and sometimes I'd get excited, you know, during the week randomly and just turn the faucets on and off and mm-hmm. the lights on and off. And my mom would be like, what are you doing? What is the, I, don't, I don't know. This is making, making sure they still work. Right. Like, it's something you so. need to pass on to your kids. Like, listen, every year we check the lights and turn on the water in the house at midnight just, on New Year's. Do it. Do it till your mom yells at you. Just, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Oh, so so yeah, I was late to the party. Uh, I've in fact I almost missed the party. So you almost did, uh, yeah. Well, yeah. I on the other hand knew about it all year because, and I'm not going to mention who which family member this was, but I did have a family member who was a Y2K prepper. Now they didn't, they weren't the kind of person to go build a bunker in their backyard and stock up on provisions and like go go full like zombie apocalypse. But yeah. They definitely bought a generator. They bought like the cases of water and perishable goods and or non-perishable goods and like just anything you could think of that was within reason that we probably saw a lot of people doing during the COVID pandemic right at the beginning. It was probably to that extent. So they definitely thought Y2K was going to be the end of the world because the computers weren't going to know how to go to the next number and everything was going to fail. The grid was going to shut down and humanity was going to be launched into just chaos. So, but I think this movie had some fuel to the Y2K fever because it's a movie about the relationship of technology and man. And Coming out of the 90s, technology was starting to progress at a faster and faster rate. And the year 2000 was also this mystical year, like 2000. It was always, yeah, it was always every book I feel, felt like I read or every movie I saw always talked about year 2050. And that seemed like forever in the future. And now we're, it's just <laughs> right around the corner, really. It's right around the corner. <laughs> we still don't have flying cars. So, no, not yet. We not might yet. by then. I, I'm hoping one day, one day I would like I mean, to test, see flying test, you know, SpaceX is, you know, rocket launching rockets into space and, you know, Elon Musk has Tesla. Eventually they'll mer- merge those two things. Right. 
Well, and he cars. also just became more wealthy than Warren Buffett. I saw recently, so wow, he's doing pretty pretty good for himself. But yeah, he is back to 1999. <laughs> I think that this fueled some Y2K fever. This movie. Because it is, like I said, it is all about the relationship between technology and man, and how man, if not responsible and dominant over technology, technology will consume man. And so I think that's part of the philosophy that's within the Matrix. And what's interesting is we can't talk about the Matrix without kind of sliding into philosophy because True. the directors, the okay, I always butcher their name. The Wachowskis, Wachowskis. I think that's how I think it's what I think it's uh, Wachowski, like uh, Wachowski or, Wykow- or Wykowski. I can't remember. <laughs> it's it's one of those things, and uh, also they're sisters now. Yes, so I think you're supposed to refer to them as as sisters. Yes. even talking about them in the past, that's a politically correct thing to to do. We are PC on this podcast, so yes, they were brothers back in the day but now they're they're sisters so we refer to them at this point as sisters but they were heavily influenced by french philosophy and they were heavily heavily influenced by japanese martial arts and anime which i thought was really cool especially being like i'm not a huge anime guy but like as we've talked about on this podcast we've talked about uh dragon ball z we've talked about pokemon so i have i've we've been exposed to and enjoy kind of the mainstream anime Japanese style. And speaking of anime though, I have seen the animatrix and it's the it's animatrix, the, anim- the animatrix. Do you not know about the animatrix? And I know about the animaniacs, but now I've no. never heard of animatrix. It's an anime movie set in the matrix universe. Animatrix. I swear, I swear this is a thing. I'm not even joking about it. Yeah. Animatrix. <laughs> I've totally seen this movie. It's pretty good. Actually, I, it's it's kind of weird, but it's now that you mentioned that it was influenced by anime, it makes a whole lot of sense that they made this movie. Yeah. Anyway, they were well. That's awesome because they were yeah. So Ghost in the Shell was the anime film that they're most heavily influenced by, which I have never seen, but I've heard great things, and it's one of those animes that when you look at a list of animes, it's always like on that top five best animes yeah. ever made. Um, so Ghost in the Shell was kind of a huge influence for them. Um, but it is a... So moving on, The Matrix is an example of a cyberpunk genre. And this was the first I actually heard of this genre, was seeing this movie... I didn't see it in 1999 because I was too young. My parents didn't let me see it, but I saw it shortly after. Um, But the cyberpunk genre is think of movies like Judge Dredd or the book, The Neuromancer, which is an awesome book. If you haven't read it, definitely read it. Um, Blade Runner and more recently Altered Carbon, which is on Netflix. These are all genres of like, or the examples of the cyberpunk genre. Um, But the matrix, when it came out, it, revolutionized film and it popularized popularized the technique called bullet time and bullet time was that iconic shot that happened right at the beginning of the film where trinity's in that room and the cops bust in and she turns around she jumps up and she does that like crane pose or whatever in midair and Mm -hmm. it freezes and the camera like rotates around them 
and it's the coolest thing. Like you just see it all and then she kicks them and knocks them back and you're just like, whoa, what the heck are we watching? So they thrived off bullet time. Um, it also influenced actually future action films with the martial arts it used in its fight scenes because the martial art, the choreographer for the martial arts fighting scenes and the guy that actually trained all of the actors in martial arts was the same guy that did the choreography for like the Bruce Lee movies that were popular Mm -hmm. like a decade before. So he, and what was really cool about him, what I was reading is he didn't want everyone to have the same style. And so he really dove into the essence and the personalities of each of the actors, not the characters, but like the actors. So Keanu Reeves and Lawrence Fishburne and I forget the girl's name that plays Trinity, but her too. They, the, the martial arts teacher, the sensei, if you will, got to know them. And then was like, okay, Keanu, we're going to do this style because you're, you're a very resilient person. So you're going to have a more like aggressive, resilient style. And, uh, Lawrence Fishbourne just had, he was all about just perseverance. And so he had a style built for him. And then the girl who played Trinity was very graceful. And so you kind of see that in the film. And I thought that was a really cool touch that he had. Cause he took the personalities of the actual actors and actresses and, made it a part of the film. And so then films after this one really uh, adopted the styles that were made popular in the matrix. Cause there's a ton of fighting yeah. styles, like the whole scene with Neo getting uploaded with, which was one of my favorite scenes because I was like, man, if this technology existed, I would get A's on all of my tests in high school and college. <laughs> like I would just, just yeah. upload every book that I was supposed to read in five seconds. And I was like, I'm good to go. I, I know all this. So yeah. it was a technology that I wish existed so I could just <laughs> breeze my way through school. But unfortunately it did not. So yeah, it didn't exist yet. Did not exist yet. So moving on, it was a box office success. Obviously it was an action movie right at the beginning of summer or just before it. So it was a huge success, $460 million that earned worldwide and it's considered to be one of the greatest science fiction films of all time. Um, it spawned a fairly healthy franchise. Um, definitely not as big as some of the other franchises we've talked about on this podcast, but it's it's had two more films to, the, to make a trilogy as well as a comic book, apparently an animation film as well. Yeah. Um, video games, which I remember playing, which were garbage, but... <laughs> Enter the Matrix. <laughs> it was so bad. I remember being so pumped for that game. I was like, this is going to be amazing. And it was even more disappointing than the second Matrix movie. Oh, my goodness. Yes, it was a huge <laughs> letdown. Probably the second biggest letdown of my video game career besides the Jurassic Park video game that came out. But Oh, geez. Yeah, that, that was, was funny to read. The worst one. But so it came out with animated shorts and novels. It so did the franchise thing. Let's capitalize on all medias. And... I learned this, which made me pretty happy while researching, is a fourth film is apparently scheduled for release in April of 2021. I was supposed to say 2021, not 2020. (laughs) But crazy. 2021. Yes. So a fourth film is supposed to come out. 
I could not find too much more information on this other than there was just on Wikipedia. It said a fourth film is scheduled for next year, though. I've heard nothing about it. No promotion. So I don't know if it's true yet, but if it is, I'm honestly pretty hyped. I love the matrix. Uh I know the second one was garbage, but the third one kind of redeemed itself. And I would be okay with seeing Keanu Reeves as Neo again. That was, it's always a fun time. (laughs) Oh man. Yeah. But that's, that's crazy to think that they're making a fourth one. Uh, But before we keep going on, I just want to, I just want to throw in here. We're going to do a little, do a little plug here. Just if anybody, uh, if you want to have, if you're listening right now, if you like the episode, go ahead and subscribe wherever you're listening, subscribe, give us a rating, let us know how we're doing. Don't forget to subscribe so that you can get these episodes as soon as they upload and you don't have to be behind on the conversation and you can hit us up on Facebook. You can go to steellakestudio.com and we can continue the conversation over there. But our conversation about the matrix is going to continue. So just a brief plot synopsis, Zach. The thing that's funny is, is you mentioned we can't really talk about the matrix without talking about philosophy. However, it's an in-depth philosophical plot when it comes to the ideas thrown out in there, but actually summarizing the plot, you can do so relatively quick because the story still follows the hero's journey in relatively simple uh, steps, right? Exactly. So you, you have Neo, who's, who's this guy. He's a, he's a uh, was he like a hacker or a, the computer no, no, no. programmer? He's a computer programmer. That's right. Who is a hacker or something along those lines by night. He runs that second job. That's right. And uh, he's told to follow the white rabbit, right? The Alice in Wonderland reference and the, you know, just the beginning of adventure. That's that's I thought that was a really cool way to start off the movie. Mm. Right. Kind of getting this this old storytelling trope at the beginning and going down like a similar story path and. And he's invited to basically be awoken, right? Awoken to a different reality, awoken to a better reality by Morpheus, Morpheus. right? And that's when we get the legendary choice between choosing what, Zach? What does he have the choice between? The red pill or the blue pill. And so what does the red pill represent and the blue pill represent? So the red pill represents the... Go in. It, he takes the red one, right? <laughs> I don't want to mess this up. Or does yes, he take, takes the red? Yeah, he takes the red. red. It's it's continuing yeah. the journey. It's it's let's see what's down that rabbit hole, as as Morpheus says. Let's see how far down the rabbit hole we can go. Where the blue the blue pill is, you can stay in your world. You can stay in ignorance. You can live your life, be happy, because the cipher says the steak still tastes like steak in the Matrix, and he's happy with that. So those are the mm-hmm. two choices that neo is given and neo goes i want to see where this rabbit hole goes yep and so then he wakes he he gets woken up he is he is able to get in touch with his real self in the real world which is a dystopian future and so for anyone who doesn't know what dystopian means it is the opposite of utopian right a future where everything is not perfect where where kind of society has collapsed and it's it's sad and it's not a place you would want to be and so there's this dystopian future of these, you know, this small society of humans who are not in the matrix, who are trying to hide out from the AI and artificial intelligence who kind of want to destroy the living humans. They don't really want them to be getting out of the matrix. And I believe a lot of this develops further on in the series, but isn't even there some thought thrown in there in the later movies that 
well, maybe the robots aren't so bad. I I don't know. Yeah, they try um, to humanize them a little bit, but yeah, yeah, it tries to make you sympathize with their cause, but that's not what the plot was going for in the original. No. And so, what I believe, and I, and I always, I, I always struggle with explaining Agent Smith. But before we get to Agent Smith, the reason why Neo is so important is because he is told to be the chosen one, right? It's a stereotypical plot device mm-hmm. in a, a, you know, a hero's journey, right? A chosen one, and he's the chosen one who's going to be able to basically destroy the Matrix, and the villain who keeps coming up in the movie is agent smith who is probably my favorite character in the movie just because uh hugo weaving he's just he's just got he's the perfect Mm -hmm. dude for that for that role he's just the perfect guy and uh he he's what is he a virus or yeah he's like a uh, type of encryption essentially like the ai of the matrix that's supposed to be like managing everything and so he's able that's why he's able to just appear like in phone booths or wherever because he can travel through the network of the matrix so i think he's like an ai of of the of the matrix which since we're on him right now he he modeled his character of agent smith after walter cronkite so he wanted to, okay. so that's why he's got that like real monotone delivery. Like he's, <laughs> so Walter Conkrite had that, like, just hear the facts kind of voice. And so he wanted to, mo- and since at one point Walter Cron- Cronkite was a, so for those who don't know who Walter Cronkite is, he's, he was a newscaster back in the day. And he was at once the most trusted man in America because he America. reported on the moon landing he reported on i think jfk one of the i think jfk assassination and the moon landing so he was like the most trusted man in america but he had this real like distinct voice and so mr agent smith was modeled after after him that's cool that's cool i and you know as we're kind of talking about influences here too this movie the matrix Keanu Reeves was was a known figure. He was known in Bill and Ted, and he was in some other stuff. He was in uh, he was in romantic comedies. He was in Speed. He was in things, so he was a familiar face. But The Matrix kind of made him into to a big star. Unfortunately, his career kind of had a lot of ups and downs after mm, that. But yeah. but The Matrix made him a huge star and originally that role wasn't even supposed to go to him as as i'm i'm finding out here who was the role originally supposed to go to will smith was supposed to be the original neo but unfortunately (laughs) will smith did not understand the concept of the matrix and so he turned it down turned down the matrix mind you for the atrocious film Wild Wild West. <laughs> oh, he turned down cyberpunk for steampunk. Although yes. I will say, I will say, steampunk has always been extremely intriguing to me. But nothing in film or 
you know, like nothing in film in particular. Maybe I don't know about television, but nothing in film has really pulled off steampunk all that well. It's it's a it's a genre that I'm extremely interested in that just continues to fail in film. I think live action continues to fail with steampunk. I think yeah, yeah, that's what I mean. Yeah, but animated, like obviously, anime and uh, like cartoons can pull it off a lot better because you. I think just the nature of being a cartoon or an anime, you're just willing to suspend your disbelief and they can do more with the steampunk genre. But I agree. There's never been a successful, at least in my memory, there's never been a successful steampunk live action film. It's always flopped. Even though it is, like you said, it's a cool concept. It's a cool genre. I love it. But yeah, I just, I can't recall. I mean, wild wild West was an attempt and, we can say it was an attempt. That's about all we can say. <laughs> yeah, that's about it. That's about all it has going for it. It just kind of continuing on in our plot summary. So, so Neo, he got, he goes through training. He has to go through kind of introductory missions where what, what's kind of, what's the mission that they're going on? Correct me, Zach. I can't remember. So they're going to they're see the Oracle. The building. So when they're they go to see the Oracle, okay. yeah. So they go to see the Oracle to make sure that Neo is in fact the chosen one, and then through that, Morpheus gets captured. So that's, that's when right. Cipher betrays him. Cipher is kind of the the Judas figure in this Correct. in this film, and Cipher betrays him because he is tired of living in a dystopian world, and so he decides that I would rather have my autonomy and my stakes because it's a fame. I keep bringing up steak because the scene that he talks about basically his philosophy, he's sitting eating steak at a a fine dining restaurant. And he basically is like, I want to live here because this is what I know. I like this. I don't like it out in the real world. And so he betrays Morpheus and the, everyone on the Nebuchadnezzar and so that's why, yeah, that's when Morpheus gets captured and Neo has to go and save him. Yeah, okay. That's right. That's how it goes. And, and an interesting thing about Cypher, not not just Cypher, but all the characters in the movie, all the characters in the movie, like uh, their characters play out just like their names kind of entail, right? Mm. Cypher is a is this disguised way of writing code, right? If you if you look up the dictionary definition, that's that's what it is. So he's kind of this undercover, he's the he's the he's the the turncoat basically, right? Mm-hmm. And so he's the one who gives gives them up and you know Neo obviously new. He's the he's the new the new way, the new era, the beginning of the new era, Neo. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, just, I find it very interesting how they they kind of really, you know, they went they went full on into the philosophical um, ways by even doing names that explain the characters. And yeah, I, find, I found that very interesting. Yeah, no, what it do you, is. What cool. do you think about that in storytelling? Do you do you like when characters are have names that are descriptive of their nature and their purpose, or do you think that that's that that's too heavy handed. What do you think? I think, I think it's a risk that an an author or a director takes. And it's a risk that has either huge rewards or you just flops bad because it either is going to sound cool 
if you build if you take it seriously enough so like in the case of the matrix they they wanted to make characters that represented the names that they had and there's always and if you anyone takes a writing class or a film class you always know like there's more to a name than just the name if it's a good character usually their personality fits that name and so i think that works if you take it seriously enough i think it's easier to do and i I, i'm careful when i say easier because like obviously writing something that's stands the test of time or that's kind of a monument in your own genre is incredibly difficult but i think that it's easier to do that in uh fairy tales or in like children's literature so what comes Mm -hmm. to mind is jk rowling i was actually having this discussion today with my wife i was like she is so good at writing names and she's so good at writing names that fit the character she's describing so mm-hmm. and, and she's amazing with alliteration but like take for example severus snape all throughout the harry potter series snape is this kind of slithery slimy guy that kind of appears and disappears and he's always kind of around and he's kind of this cunning ambiguous guy and he fits that name really really well and then yeah. Draco Malfoy. It's kind of that powerful name. And he, even though he's right, kind of a right. whiny kid, he he definitely carries himself like he's a dragon almost. So he's he fits yeah, that like name. A malicious, it sounds like malicious dragon. Yes, you know? exactly. And he fits that character. And so I think that it's, so that's why I'm saying it's a little easier, I think, to do those names in children's literature because you, the nature of the genre is this is fantasy. This is for kids. We're going to have fun with the names. I think the matrix was one of those that they took a gamble with the names and it played off and it worked out really, really well that. Yeah. And I, I, and so get back to your original question. Yes. I love when names match the personality because then it sticks so much better. Like Darth Vader, like that name, there's no other character that could have that name than a, guy in a giant black suit with a helmet with a red lightsaber <laughs> like right. that is yeah. exactly what that name means so yeah i love when they do that and i think the matrix did it really really well yeah i i like it as well as a storytelling device i also find that in movies it tends to it tends to work really well because even as someone who likes to analyze stories and kind of pick them apart there's almost this as long as the movie itself is immersive, you don't really even pick up on it while you're watching the movie until kind of afterwards you watch it and you process through it afterwards. And you're like, oh yeah, there was a lot of lot of hints there mm-hmm. that this is how the person's character was going to play out. But you were just so involved. And I think that's just, uh, that's a nod to good storytelling in film as well is if they were able to kind of give you a little bit of a, a hint as as to this person and their character based on their name, but they were able to kind of, you know, still suck you in into the story and surprise you in that twist, I think is really, really cool when that, you know, uh, a film can pull that off. Yeah, absolutely. uh, So anyway, yeah, the, the matrix, it kind of leads up to, like you said, Morpheus getting captured, them saving Morpheus at the very end. And at the very end, we get this, this, 
reveal of Neo and his nature and, and how does the how does the movie end after the big explosive gunfight with Agent Smith that eventually, you know, they they do save Morpheus and then it ends on a very kind of strange Yeah. Note. I, I the ending always was weird that he's talking on the phone Neo's talking on a phone somewhere and he's like basically telling the robots like I have awakened, I'm coming for you, like I'm going to fix all this and then he flies away <laughs> and that always I, I that one it was a little too much for me i think even at a young age when i first saw this and i just get through the whole movie and i think it's awesome and i'm all about the action scenes and the fighting and then neo flies away like he's superman i was like oh come on like that's a little heavy-handed <laughs> they're definitely doubling down on the chosen one thing there yeah so i i think they could have probably done the in my opinion, the ending a little differently, but I mean, it is what it is. It's what we got more or uh, Neo is the chosen one. He's Superman. So he's, he at that point has learned that he can bend the physics of the world to his will. And so why not fly off in a leather suit? Basically. <laughs> leather trench coat uh, exactly why not and that you know that's the most comfortable way to travel in leather is flight as yes. i've as i've been told i've <laughs> yes. you know i've talked to a couple of leather connoisseurs and flight is the most ex- the the mo- yeah most expensive yeah. but also the most comfortable way to travel exactly um but yeah man let's let's uh, look here we have a few fun facts that we should get into mm-hmm. before we head into our initial impact and lasting appeal section because there's some really cool things that we have have here in our notes so zach why don't you take us through some fun facts that you did in your research here? yeah so my question to you guess who was supposed to be morpheus I think that it was supposed to be, if I didn't know the answer, <laughs> my initial guess actually would have been, um, okay, I can't not know now, yep. but we'll just say Sean Connery. Sean, Sean Connery. <laughs> I'm sorry, could you just imagine? All right, now I'll show you guys. <laughs> Sean, uh, Sean Connery. Sean Connery. I'm more fierce. He turned down Lord of the Rings because it didn't make sense. Could you imagine if he was oh, <laughs> in the Matrix? Yeah, get you. <laughs> oh man, no. Unfortunately, oh, are you going to follow the White Rabbit or not, Neil? I need to know an answer. <laughs> but but he was in League of Extraordinary Gentlemen, which is right up Sean Connery's. It's like, all right, I yep. get these stories. This is easy. <laughs> Give me something real easy to understand. But no. Uh, Val Kilmer was supposed to be the original Morpheus, but I think he was filming, he was doing something else at the time. And so instead they went with Lawrence Fishburne or Fishburne. And, uh, I think that was a good choice. He does a great job. Yeah, I agree. Kills the role. Great, great job. Um, so yeah. So they also hired comic book artists. So the directors hired a comic two comic book artists to draw a 600 page, no lie shot by shot storyboard of the entire film. They, this was one of the most mapped out choreographed films ever made. And it was shot in a matter of like 
four or five months. So there was it paid off because they knew exactly what they were going to do. They weren't going to deviate from the storyboard. So they just they shot it, they wrapped it up, and it was good to go. Um, but I, I mean, this was Stanley Kubrick levels of planning, and yeah. it was it's honestly quite impressive. And I think since the comic book artist did the 600 page shot by shot storyboard, I think they turned a lot of those shots into later on like comic books or at least use that style. So yeah. So, I mean, they definitely got their money's worth out of these guys drawing that, but I mean, dude, can you imagine just being hired on and being like, okay, we're going to need about mm, uh, 600 pages of (laughs) every (laughs) single shot that we are going to film in this movie (laughs) <laughs> uh, say like for example you know we'll we'll be what do you think maybe four four frames per page or do you think they would go full out like nine like a three by three do i mean if it were me i would be going nine i would be cr- cramming so, as much as i can so three by three 600 pages you're looking at you're looking at oh geez if you did a front and back 1200 so you're looking at what is that? Thirty six hundred sketches. Thirty six hundred frames. Does that does that sound right? That's it's in that ballpark, man. Which means that's I don't know. I mean, I don't know a single comic book artist, so I don't know how long it takes to draw a frame. But if this movie took four months to film, I can't imagine what it took to draw and sketch all those frames for each shot months yeah, that's crazy that's cool though do you know uh at all how long it took him to edit the film like how much did post um uh, it was on there i didn't i can't off the top of my head remember but i know i remember the fact that they filmed it wrapped it up and it was done within like a year like okay. it was ready it was a really quick turnaround because as you know films are not quick things to make like nobody makes a film in four months edits it right. turns it out the next year these are like year-long right. processes so this one was one of the, but i mean they're very meticulous in how they wanted this film to look and feel so they the directors i don't want to butcher their name wachowskis wachowskis <laughs> they wanted to really plan this one out and it like i said it paid off um but since we were talking about philosophies earlier and talking about the movie more in depthly here the entire cast was required to understand and explain the philosophies influencing the matrix which makes sense because when i first watched this movie and i'm sure for many people when they first watched this movie it was confusing it made no sense no sense and now that i watch it later on knowing what's the matrix is and how it all plays out i cannot believe how like i just i'm like well duh this is obvious like he get he gets pulled out but i at the time super confused and so i can only imagine that when the actors and actresses were reading the like script they were probably confused as well so right right the directors wanted them to understand and be able to explain it to other people and so they were required to read not only the script, but before they even were allowed to start rehearsing, they needed to read philosophy books. And the main one that they wanted them to read was French philosopher Jean. Okay. Jean 
Baudrillard. Ooh, I don't know if I said that right. I'm really sorry Jean, if you Jean Baudrillard. There you go. That is exact. That was a really good French accent, man. Hey, we're gonna. Hey, you know I do voices, man. That's what I do. <laughs> it was really good. <laughs> so that guy, um, which that guy is apparently where, like in his book, it's where Morpheus quotes the famous phrase "the desert of the real," which is one of my favorite lines of the film. <laughs> and so the funny thing is that yes, the film takes this French philosopher's philosophies and implements it into the film. But the guy, what's his name? Can you say it for me again? Jean Baudrillard. That guy. He states that the matrix completely misunderstands and distorts his work. So even though (laughs) (laughs) they had some required reading, the reading didn't apparently translate very well, according to him. So they tried. They tried. It's uh, also, I mean, it's a movie, and you know, I, filmmakers. I yeah, I love I love movies. I love actors. I love all these things. Known not to be the brightest stars in the sky. So <laughs> they're the, storytellers. Uh, at the end of the day, they're not philosophers. Yeah, exactly, and <laughs> philosophers, like professional level doctorate level philosophers are some of the smartest human beings on the planet in fact the reason why we have a hard time understanding philosophy is because their brains just work a different way and and we're sitting there trying to understand you know guys like jean baudrillard and uh you know john locke or um rene descartes like all these people and it's like oh yeah this is this is great this is not (laughs) how i think you know like these are cool things you're putting down on paper it sounds like sounds like poetry that doesn't make any sense Mm. to me yeah, I'll take the spark notes. Right, yeah. I'll watch the YouTube video on it. Yeah, exactly. Um, <laughs> so another interesting fact, 45 minutes into the film, and no one would really know this, but 45 minutes into the film, Neo has only said 80 lines of dialogue, and of those lines, 44 of them are questions. So over half of his dialogue is him asking questions about what's going on, what are you doing? Where are we going? What's that? All of that. And that was intended because he, at least his character in the first film, was meant to be created so that audiences would be able to understand and follow along with what is happening. Because it is a confusing okay. movie if you've never seen it before. And so they tried it to create Neo to kind of be that guide for the audience and put the audience into Neo's shoes because he's also discovering everything that's happening just as we are. So I yeah. thought that was pretty interesting. That's neat. I didn't, I never realized that. Yeah. Um, now, now, it, uh, now it's super clear, but I, I never thought about that. <laughs> so finally, this is my last fast fact, even though these aren't that fast, but I'm calling them fast facts now. Um, the matrix code, the famous matrix code that everyone who's ever seen the matrix or it's in, and knows about the matrix. This is that code that is falling down your computer screen. And it was everybody's screensaver in 1999, 2000. So the code, the matrix code that's seen throughout the film is actually a combination of Latin letters and numerals and Japanese sushi recipes. They're just <laughs> flipped. The characters in the, uh, the character, the Japanese characters are just flipped and turned around but they're, uh, they took sushi recipes 
and upload and design the uh, the letters after that. So what you're not what you're looking at is not complex code, but actually delicious recipes for raw fish. Very interesting. Now that is that is a nice fun fact. I I would say <laughs> out of all of the ones that we've done, that's probably going to be the majority unknown. I that is, that's interesting. Yeah, me. that's a that's the most fun fact, Ed. That's very good. And you know, at at this point, I'm thinking about the first time I saw the Matrix. You said it does all this philosophy and all of that, and I'm right there with you. It made no sense to me the first time I saw it. In fact. I didn't see it in theaters or anything. It was it was rated R, right? So yeah. being 10 years old, 9 years old, 9 years old, 8 years old, whenever this came out. I think I was I think I was around 9 the first time I saw it mm-hmm. because it came out and I remember my brother had gotten it for Christmas, I think. It was for Christmas. Of the VHS tape version. Oh yeah. He had gotten it for Christmas. And I think it was like a year after the movie came out. So this would have been like Christmas of two thousand, right? So so way, way later, after the whole Y2K and and all that nonsense. And I remember we still bought VHS tapes back then. I don't even in two thousand we didn't even have a DVD player yet. Isn't that crazy to think about? That is like I think we got our first DVD player in two thousand one. Yeah. And uh, so I remember my brother opening up the the Matrix and and I was I was secretly really excited to watch his movie, but kind of curious, would my parents let me watch it because it was rated R? And, you know, the question is always like, what's it rated R for? Like, how violent is it? How gory (laughs) is it? And how much bad language is there? Is there any nudity? All those questions that that need to be answered. And my my brother had gotten it from my dad. And I just remember being so you always got excited about certain shapes in christmas packages and the vhs tape shape was I oh mean, yeah it wasn't gonna it wasn't gonna be anything else it's not <laughs> you know it's not like uh socks came in boxes the shape the vhs tapes but vhs tapes man i remember getting so excited about seeing the package they could kind of fit in the stocking as well so mm-hmm. it was nice to have like a pile of candy and you dig through your candy and there was a vhs tape <laughs> at the bottom but I remember watching this movie for the first time with my brother and just thinking that it was this it was going to be this amazing film and, and the action was good. It was really cool, but I remember just thinking the whole time, I have no idea what's going on. Why is why is sometimes he able to do superpowers and why sometimes are they poor? I don't it doesn't make <laughs> any sense. Poor. What happened to his what happened to his suit? Like there's this weird scene where he's like coming out of water and goo and all that. And I'm like, what is, what is going on here? This is, this is disgusting. And you know, I hadn't seen the miracle of life yet in school. So I hadn't, I, that was my first time seeing rebirth and oh geez. I remember thinking like, that was a great action movie. I have no idea what happened. Let's watch it again. Let's watch it again. Um, but I remember watching it many, many, many times uh, on on repeat because my brother and I were repeat watchers of movies. Mm. And, we, you know, the, the movie, we just put it in the VCR and it would stay there and you'd rewind it and watch it a couple days later. <laughs> and that, that was just kind of the way of life. But another thing I remember initially was the impact the Matrix had on Halloween costumes oh, for, yes. for, for many years to come. Because it was just super easy Halloween costume. You just put on a black coat and sunglasses. Now, granted, you can't see anything while you're trick or treating, so it gets a little dangerous out mm. there. But uh, super easy. That's and right. uh, I remember being—I remember being a Matrix. 
I mean, everyone everyone wanted to be Neo, but mm-hmm. you'd, you'd go with your whole crew. You'd be like Neo, Morpheus, and, and there was there weren't too many Trinities. Not not too many girls no. wanted to go as Trinity, but uh, a lot of Neos and Morpheuses out there. Dude, see, here's the thing. My favorite characters were Tank and Dozer in that film. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, I yeah, the- love those two, and they're only in the first one. I think that's- I'm pretty sure, right? They I know spoiler, but. You know, if you haven't seen it since 1999, um, Dozer, I think, dies. And then I think Tank dies shortly after him. It's been a while since I've yeah. seen it. No, no, no. Because no, I think because Cypher I doesn't thought... actually kill Tank. Tank's the one that ends up killing Cypher. The younger, yeah, the younger brother. Maybe he does. Does he die by the robots? No, he uh, I thought he got unplugged. Like, if you get unplugged while you're still in the Matrix, it's like pulling the cable No, that was, the blonde, that was the blonde girl that got unplugged. Cause, Ghost? Cause whatever remember, it is. Because remember, Tank is the guy who shoots Cypher, right? While he's unplugging Yeah, he everybody. shoots him with that, like, laser gun thing. And he's, he's about to unplug, I think, Trinity. Yeah. No, he's and, about to unplug Neo. Okay. One of them. And, and then he doesn't. So... And then Tank shoots him. Yes. Tank Does Cypher him. is Cypher not dead from that and come back and kill Tank? Like, no, I think he wounds Tank and then Tank in his like glass dying breath saves them. And then they yeah, come out yeah. and Tank's like lying there with a like Oh, he can't make it. He can't hold on to the end. He sees the yeah. light. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. Ah. Good. Bummer. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Definitely a bummer. Two of my favorite characters. Did not go. Did not go as them though, or anybody from the Matrix in 1999 or 2000. That's when. That's when I went as a Pokemon card. There you go. <laughs> yeah, my dad that doesn't surprise me after, <laughs> after after our Pokemon episode. You love Pokemon, dude. Man. Yeah, I went as a po- I went as uh I went as Geo dude for like two years in a row. It was a- what a tale of two polar opposites. <laughs> I know. You know right? we- on the weekend, the movie choice, the movie of choice was The Matrix. During, <laughs> but during the daylight hours, we were playing Pokemon yeah, on our Game Boy. <laughs> playing Pokemon. <laughs> yeah. Definitely oh, a, a change of uh, genre there. But, sure. dude, yeah. when I first saw The Matrix, I, I was certainly just as confused as you and probably most people watching it. But later, when I saw, do you remember the movie Minority Report? Yes. I felt just as confused in Minority Report. And I remember it watching Minority Report and thinking to myself, this is like watching The Matrix. I am going to have to watch this again because I am totally lost. I'm sure this is an awesome plot, but this is so confusing. And I guess what I want to ask you is, have there been movies recently released, maybe in the past five to we'll even go 10 years that have that level and they're not even that complex, but it's just, they're so new and they have some sci-fi trope, I guess for lack of better word to them, that makes them confusing. Like the matrix was confusing because it's dealing with two worlds and they're not very clear. They're not kind of holding your hand through the matrix, just like minority report. And I, maybe I'm just, dumb and minority report made sense to everybody and just not me but i thought minority report was pretty confusing with like alternating timelines but 
has there been a movie has there been a movie yeah released that has that level of complexity that you can think I, of I can't think of a sci-fi movie but one one movie that I don't even know if it's a level of complexity as as much as it is you have to really process through what the story was at the end but a movie I remember just watching and then when it got to the end thinking like wait a minute Hold on, what does this whole thing mean? Was when I saw Birdman. Uh, oh I, yeah, I remember like because of the way it ends, it's like wait, whoa, hold on, that's not what I was expecting. Like, what does this, what does this whole thing mean? And mm. and so I remember kind of thinking that at the end, like maybe I wasn't paying attention to the right things. And I I think Birdman too is one of those movies that, as far as execution goes, there's great acting great performances a great soundtrack it's shot really unique mm. but the uh the overall story i'm like ah that's not one i would really actually want to watch again though it's kind of depressing yeah it is definitely you know? a downer of a movie though beautifully shot yeah. i think that's yeah, what yeah. does it for it though it's well acted like you said but i think the cinematography makes that movie more than yeah the the plot to me yeah, um, yeah, for sure. But I know there are probably people right now screaming at their speaker going, Inception, Inception. And to that I say, I don't think Inception was that complex. Like, yes, it's like dreams within dreams within dreams. But I feel like Christopher Nolan lays out the structure of it pretty comprehensively that I, at least for me, when I, and I'm not trying to sound like, well, I, I know movies better than you, but... I just, I didn't get lost in that film. Like, yeah, the end has a twist and you're like, oh, is he like still dreaming or is he in the real world? But to me, Inception wasn't that hard to follow, especially since before they go and like start their plan, they basically lay out what they're going to do. Like they tell you that this level, this is what you were going to do. And then at this level, we need to do this. And then finally, we're going to get to this level. And then that happens. So... To me, the inception wasn't that confusing. But I go ahead. Could I be wrong? The plot of Inception isn't confusing. The only thing, the only thing about Inception is it's it's not confusing. It's just a discussion of what's really happening. You know, because there's a lot of layers of what could be happening, right? Mm. You know, there's the whole question of is he still trapped in the dream world or is he awake? Right? There's there is the question of whether any of it, any of it was real, right? Right. Um, so there's there, there's a lot of questions you can ask, but it was a movie designed to be talked about, and I don't think the overall plot is is confusing. No, I'm with you on that. I don't yeah. think it's confusing, but it's intentionally set up to not give you all the answers. So does that mean The Matrix, do you think it's, poor storytelling that makes it so confusing or do you think it's like what makes the matrix so confusing because when you go back and watch it now as an adult it's not confused it's so simple it's a very simple movie and actually not too much happens in the first movie like neo learns he's he's to leave the matrix he leaves the matrix he goes back in and then they save the day like it's very three-act structured very simple mm-hmm. plot. So why why is that so much why is that confusing? But 
a movie about dreams within dreams within dreams is pretty standard to follow. Yeah, I don't think it's the storytelling, and I think I think that a ten year old would be just as confused with Inception as <laughs> we were with the Matrix. So the age thing matters, as well as the big difference. The big difference between a movie like Inception and a movie like The Matrix is the Matrix dialogue, especially coming from Morpheus, who leads the film in dialogue. He doesn't speak like how we speak, right? He talks in philosophical quotes. That's how the character is is acted. That's how the character is written. And so for a younger mind, you've never heard language like this before. So you're kind of automatically disengaged with the dialogue because it's not how you're, first of all, you're not, you're not used to talking like an adult. So it's a movie full of adults talking like adults. And then on top of that, it's all these philosophical terms and this symbolic language and kind of an artistic way of speaking for Morpheus, especially who, you know, does a majority of the talking. So I think that's partly why, as well as like the exposition dumps too, like the, explanation of what the ai is like they it's it's told to you what they are rather than shown to you what they right. are like yes you see them but you'd have no you have no understanding of what they're doing based on what's shown to you you're told what they're doing so that's that's another aspect that would be confusing for a kid mm. so yeah i i think it's just kind of just that age gap it's just a different audience right it's a rated r movie right made yeah. for 17 and up so it does it makes sense that a 10 year old kind of is like whoa what the heck's going on here but it looks really cool yeah so hmm well i just i guess i should have asked adults before we started like did this make sense to you when you watched it because to me and to you and to probably all 10 year olds that's all this this movie was awesome but super confusing and to be honest, though, I I remember my dad who who is an avid movie watcher or was he's not so much anymore, but I remember he was never like a big Matrix guy. Is it's, it's not really for me. It's just kind of it's just okay type yeah. of deal. Um, so yeah, I'm curious if you're if you're listening to the the podcast and maybe you were a little older when the matrix came out, was it really this groundbreaking movie or was it just something that was so big with young boys and teenagers? And I shouldn't say young, but maybe girls liked it, but I feel like a mass amount yeah. of people who got into the matrix were guys. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I would agree with that. Oh, yeah. Hit us up over at steel on the community tab. And we'd love to hear from you. Let us know. Yeah. So what were your lasting impacts, Cody, from, from the matrix? Uh, like as I as I mentioned earlier, the movie didn't age great, but I just watched the movies for the first time with my wife maybe about a year ago. She had never seen them, and and she liked them. She thought they were pretty good. But still, to this day, to this day, I cannot I cannot stay awake in in the third movie. Oh. And I think that's I think that's because my struggle to sleep during one watching of the third movie just triggers and so it's story time you ready for story time zach we're gonna have a little story i'm gonna settle in here so we're we're going back in time to zach's 18th birthday party one of the best birthday parties i've ever been to zach's 18th birthday party one of the very very best thanks man um if there was a time machine and i could go back to 
a day, obviously it would be the day I met my wife. But if I had to choose a second day, it would be Zach's 18th well done. birthday. Well done. <laughs> uh, but but the, um, the birthday party, having a great time. But it was time to wind down. It was, it was late. It was getting to like 1, 2 in the morning. And I swear you had to have had 30 people sleeping over your house. Like that's, that's not even an exaggeration. I feel like that's right around the number. Maybe it was a little less, but we're, and people are just chit chatting and some guys, you know, they're texting girls and you got the guys on the other side of the room yelling like, can you put the phone away? I'm trying to sleep. And then somebody making inappropriate jokes over in the other corner and Everyone's trying to sleep. Zach's getting real cranky. <laughs> he's like, guys, this is my house. You all need to go to sleep. And everyone's getting real mad. And then there's this one guy. He keeps, he just keeps, he's on his phone all night. He's like walking around in the dark, stepping on people while they're sleeping and just doing stupid stuff. And so <laughs> I don't know why he thinks he's going to be funny. And so someone's yelling at him and I'm sitting up at this point because I just can't sleep. And, and, <laughs> And I have no idea what happens. They're arguing about the phone. And then out of nowhere, I just feel this insane amount of swelling pain on my face. <laughs> and, and I was like, oh, my gosh, what was that? <laughs> like, it literally felt like someone threw a baseball at my face. And so, so supposedly what it was was a phone. Someone had thrown their phone. And... And so this is this is back in the day when Nextel phones were a big deal, and these things were just solid bricks. And I'm pretty sure that's what I got hit in the head with. It was either that or a BlackBerry, something super solid. And so anyway, I I I'm like, oh my gosh, someone just hit me in the face, and then I hear behind me, you know, it's somebody somebody really getting mad about getting hit in the face with a phone. So so this was quite the shot. It was, it hit my face. It had so much, had so much velocity that it would just, oh, it must've just gone like straight through my head or something and hit someone right behind me's face. And the person behind me is just talking about how much pain he's in. And I'm just sitting there thinking like, think about how much pain I'm in. I, I took about 50% of the impact away from you. And, and at this point, one of our friends decides to give up on the sleeping endeavor. He, he just gives up on it mm. entirely. He's like, I'm going to watch a movie. And at, at probably 2.33 in the morning, oh. this friend of ours decides to pop on The Matrix because <laughs> you know, it's, a nice, it's a movie. A nice quiet it's movie a, to fall asleep to. It's a movie he loved. And, uh, and he, he, was, he was so entrenched with the first Matrix, and he had never seen the sequels. And he he was awoken to this reality that there's three Matrix movies. And so he just he commits at 2.30 in the morning in October on an October evening where I just want to go to sleep because I have like an hour drive back to my house. Not to mention, oh, I forgot this little detail. While my face was all swollen and in pain, I was also nursing a broken leg at the time. I can't forget. Can't forget that nope. detail. Uh, had a broken leg that uh, that people had been stepping on and rolling on throughout the evening. Probably, probably a big reason why I have issues today. Still a great birthday party. Exist. Worth it. Worth it. <laughs> but anyway, so so after the first movie's over, I'm thinking like, oh gosh, okay, it's like four thirty in the morning. Maybe some quiet for the next couple hours and getting some sleep. And nope, second movie starts, <laughs> and I think I think I was able to doze off right around the middle of the second movie. 
and and wasn't awake for the beginning of the third because he went through all three. But then I just remember at the end of the climax of the third movie, he's getting real excited. <laughs> he's, getting, he's getting on the edge of his seat and he's just screaming, <laughs> no, yes, no, yes, no, yes. And I just, this is how I wake up. And, it, you know, at this point, it's like, you know, 7 30, 8 o'clock in the morning. I'd got maybe a total of 45 minutes of sleep. And, and this is how I think of the Matrix movies. The, the <laughs> movies. This is the frame of reference you put them in. <laughs> movies that just got some young man so excited <laughs> that he had no problem keeping 30 plus people awake <laughs> yeah. in the middle of the evening so he could enjoy the trilogy in one watching marathon. So that's my little story about yeah. the lasting appeal of The Matrix. It was a sacrifice <laughs> he was willing to make. Right. <laughs> I have never been more cranky in my life than trying to fall asleep <laughs> listening to the matrix trilogy playing all night long and right when you're dozing off into dreamland they, i feel like that's when the guns start going off yeah <laughs> you're no. just waiting for that next like exposition dump so you can like, okay all right fall asleep fall asleep now it's maybe i'll be out before the next gunfight <laughs> right oh man oh uh, yeah that's that is honestly probably one of the last times that I've inadvertently watched The Matrix. <laughs> like, I think, <laughs> yeah, I think since then I've seen the first one, and I'm kind of in the same boat with you, man. That it it is not aged particularly well, other than the fact that it pushed the boundaries of filmmaking and what can be done in filmmaking. I think that it will stand a test of time with the the fact that it is was monumental at the time and it's it is considered a great sci-fi film but for me i remember that i i watched it again in college i think the first one and i still enjoyed it because it reminded me of that birthday party even though we were so frustrated it reminded me of that birthday party and all of us hanging out and yelling at each other and throwing phones at each other and just being 18 year old males just up right. all night um it also reminded me of watching it with my dad the first time in the same room being thoroughly confused yeah. but enjoying the heck out of all the action watched it probably sitting on the same couch that this our friend was on the edge of his seat cheering it on <laughs> Right, because like it wasn't the couch; it was like right under the TV, kind of right. It, there was one under the TV, and then there was one like across the room. That yeah, yeah. I think he was at the one under the TV. He was, he was <laughs> yeah, he like was full on inches. in the matrix. <laughs> yeah, I, still, I have this vision of your living room, family room, in my head, and, and just our friend just like pumping his fist and yelling, <laughs> yeah. Like, "Oh yeah, oh yeah." <laughs> oh man i'll never forget that night that just drove me crazy but yeah it's it was it's been a part of my life in in honestly kind of strange times i mean watching the matrix trilogy at my birthday was not planned um right but right yeah and, pro and honestly watching the matrix with my dad wasn't initially planned like he wanted to watch it and i came in and we watched it and He's like, well, what'd you think? And I was like, well, I don't know, but that was awesome. So 
this the matrix has always been a great movie to watch i think i don't know if lee has actually seen it so it might be the, your idea or your uh you're watching it with your wife has has inspired me to to potentially get Leah on the same train i'll tell you what man it is it's super fun to watch the movies i loved as a kid with my wife especially when she just doesn't hold back mm. and kind of is just like yeah that was garbage <laughs> like when we watch when we watch the never ending story that was an interesting experience cuz even i'm sitting there watching it like oh man this is really bad <laughs> I know a lot of people like that movie, but it's definitely a nostalgia thing over a yeah. over a quality thing. Yeah, you got to watch those with the nostalgia <laughs> goggles on. And uh, and then the Matrix, she actually thought was was pretty good. So that was that was interesting. So at least it still has that interesting side mm-hmm. to it, which is cool. Yeah. Yep. So that is in a nutshell the Matrix. Um, I. For one, we'll definitely show this to my kids when they're older and it's more age appropriate. Yeah. I yeah. don't know if I'll show it to them when they're 10 because I kind of want them to understand what's going on as well as, yeah. yeah, it's a cool action movie. But the once you got older, or once I got older and it's actually understood and like could understand the philosophies and the influences going into it, that's when it became a really, really good movie. Other than, yeah. oh, yeah, it's a cool action movie. Like... To me, in my head for the longest time, it was like there's the Matrix and there's like Top Gun. And they're kind of the same to me in my head. And then I learned more about the Matrix. I was like, oh, okay, no, that's definitely better than Top Gun, even though Top Gun's awesome. <laughs> there's there's no, a lot of people who love Top Gun <laughs> there's out there. A lot, I know there are, but there are no French philosophies being tossed around in Top Gun. <laughs> there's just you wanna- a beach ball and shirtless guys on the beach. Like, <laughs> if, you want a, uh, if you want a treat... This is for you and any of anyone listening. Go to YouTube and watch Top Gun Honest Trailers. After this episode's over, we're going to wrap up here in a few minutes. But after this episode's over, Top Gun Honest Trailers, you will laugh. It's hilarious. I love the Honest Trailers, guys. Those are <laughs> really funny. They're great. They're great. All right, Zach, let's wrap it up here quickly. And just kind of shout out what what's something you're reading, watching, doing, free time, and what's going on? Yeah, so I actually just finished two books recently. Um, Bang. Yeah, banging them out here. I got done. I finished The Road by Cormac McCarthy. Excellent. Oh, you never read that before. Um, I had a while ago, and okay, I didn't remember much about it because I was on this Cormac kick, like. Mm, my sophomore junior year of college. And so yeah. I read the road and I read country, no country for old men, like back to back and no country is stuck out to me a lot more than the road, probably for good reason. Cause the road's super depressing. And yeah. so I read it again. Awesome book. Still love it. Um, definitely not as good. Like I said, as no country for old men in my opinion, but it's a great book. Read that one, and I also read because of my uh, middle grade novel coming out this fall. I wanted to get some inspiration other than Plug that bad boy. Plug that, bad yeah, boy. yeah. So I, yeah. I'll be having that coming out this fall. the uh, The age group is middle grade, and I'm going with that horror genre. So I wanted to get some inspiration for my my book that was not 
just R.L. Stein because as much as I love R.L. Stein, his style of writing doesn't really fit my style. And so I was reading, it's called The Curse of the Blue Figurine. And it was written by a guy who was around in like the 50s. So it's definitely an older book. And some of the stuff that they talk about in the book, I'm like, man, you could not write a book like this today. Just like the way they talked. And it's about a young boy who accidentally uncovers a blue figurine that's cursed. And he lets loose this ghost of a old Catholic father or something that's trying to, he's trying to come back to life. And so the, uh, the, the dialogue between him and the other main character, which is like this professor, he's just called the professor. And the way they talk to each other is just really funny sometimes. Cause it's like you old whippersnapper, like literally we'll use those lines or like just old phrases. So it was, it was actually really fun to watch, but what I found interesting and the way I bring that this book up now is because the way it was written and the amount of just sheer words that were in this book, like this dude wrote for middle schoolers and for young adults, he took like, he honored their intelligence. Like he took their intelligence as like, I think you can understand this level of, of writing and this much time that it might take to read this because it took me a, probably a week to read, even though it's for middle school kids. Like the chapters were long. It's 168 pages and they were long and they were in depth. And he, he had terms that were like very theological terms at times that I was like, man, I don't even know what that word means. It's for middle schoolers. So it just allowed me to see that don't, when you, if you were writing a novel, if you're writing anything or producing anything that's art, like understand that your audience is probably more intelligent than you're giving them credit for. So write how you think you need to write it, but don't necessarily dumb it down because you're like, well, they'll never understand it. They're probably smart enough to understand it. So I read that book, thought it was great. Um, Currently reading the historian, which is, a book about Dracula. So I'm, I'm excited okay. to get through that one, but yeah, that's what I'm doing currently. What are you consuming, man? What stories are nice. you, you plowing through? Well, I'm, I'm doing some reading. I was, well, a lot of listening. I've been, so I, after our episode of the prestige, I was able to lock down from my library, the audio book of, of the book, the prestige to Ooh. be able to have the context of the novel. And it was good. It's, it's written as a, a four part so it's four parts in the first part you're introduced to a descendant of Alfred Borden in the second part you are reading through the journal of Alfred Borden in the third part you are reading through the journal of a descendant of Robert Angier whose name in the book is Rupert Rupert Angier mm. and uh, I'm sorry, it's, maybe it's five parts. Yeah, because in the fourth part, then you're reading through the journal of Rupert Angier, and then in the fifth part, it goes to the present-day implications. And I will say that the ending is very different than the movie. In fact, the, the story has a lot of a lot of differences. And and as I'm listening to this book, I I, I am just amazed with the adaptation that the Nolan brothers made because it's 
it's incredible what they were able to do with the novel because the novel's pretty. I mean, there's a, it's a long book, man. I think it's almost 400 pages. Um, wow. So so yeah, it's a pretty lengthy novel, and, and I enjoyed it. I thought I thought it was pretty good. I I will say though, I think I do prefer how the story played out in the movie versus how it played out in the novel. Um, and here's why. I won't give away any spoilers in case you want to go read it, but the novel's ending is much more sad than than the films. The film Ooh. gives you a happy ending. The novel is not a happy ending. So that's kind of mm. gonna make the me difference go read it. there. And uh, yeah, it's in, in, in the... And it has a little bit of horror influence in there. Some paranormal influence is in there. And, and so that might be something of your interest. Not a lot, but a little bit. And the uh, next thing I'm, I'm kind of working through is I'm still reading. I'm still reading uh, In God We Trust. I'm almost done. Oh, yes. I'm almost done. I, I just finished the chapter on uh, Ludlow Kissel and the Dago Bomb the other day. And that was... <laughs> incredible um so good i read it again like that's this is the only book where i've read chapters and then i've read them again because they were just so funny yeah um, <laughs> gene shepherd man he's a he's a master he's very he's very good it's kind of sad i've done some studying on his personal life he it sounds like his personal life wasn't quite as um mm. cheerful as he was on the radio and in his writing but anyway um, working through that, and then I'm I, I'm still going through Mistborn, and man, I gotta be honest, oh. I love fantasy, I do, but I I'm struggling to hang on through a you know 22 hour audiobook right now. Like, whew, it's that's a bear, man. Is the story it's, still it's, interesting to you? Or are you kind of the story's interesting, but I'm at a point where I'm like, you know what? I just wish I was reading it. So so this is kind of what I've come to find out. Okay. I like audiobooks that are done with with a really like solid like, very expression driven narration maybe in a tighter time window but for epic fantasy I think I would rather be reading it cuz I I could just get through it so much faster yeah. you know the yeah. um, the length of time it takes to get through some of these thicker stories in an audiobook format especially like the guy who's reading is a very slow reader I listen on 1.5 speed um wow and and so so you know that's kind of my process the story the world is awesome i love the whole premise it's great i just wish i were reading it and not listening mm. to it that's kind of what my thought process is but i love the world the world is awesome uh i love the the premise the characters the basically the whole honorable thieves um <clears throat> story story device that he uses there and the high fantasy, how he makes the magic work is it's just like, you know, I've always wanted to write fantasy, but then you read a guy like Sanderson and you just ask yourself like, Whoa, do I have what it takes? Yeah. That's, that is, that is a level of just like, cause it, it all logically makes sense too with, with the metals and mm-hmm. it's, it's, it's really cool. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. It's struggling to get through mainly because I feel like it's just taken forever. So mm. So I'll probably end up seeing if I could, you know, get the audio, get the uh, Kindle edition and finish it up <clears throat> a little bit quicker. So, yeah. yeah, that's interesting because I think I think you're touching on something that I think epic fantasy or epic or space opera writers might 
run into as a problem is the, the length of their their works because if you're trying to convert those to audiobooks if, i mean if you're not actively listening like i can definitely see your mind starting to wander and then it's like oh i just missed something like something just happened i gotta go back and just it, yeah i think 22 hours <laughs> yeah, that's I've, had a to, lot. I've had to do that a couple times yeah where i've had to rewind and you know i am listening on 1.5 speed but i'm able to get I'm able to get like a vast majority of it, you know, sometimes I got to rewind a little bit, but it is true. Like you do kind of, if you get disengaged for a second, then you rewind and it's like, man, this is a long process. Yeah. And you're like, man, I still have 20 hours ahead of me. Yeah. And I I, don't get me wrong. I think that it's still like audiobooks are still a great medium, especially for epic fantasy or, and for people who, you know, might be able to, to just sit and kind of focus on it and, and get through it. But at the same time, you know, fantasy readers are intense, man. And, and you're talking about taking twice as long to get through a book. And when you've got people who just chew through fantasy, you yeah. know, novel after novel after novel, I'm curious how, I'm just, I'm curious how successful the medium is on in audible format. Cause it's gotta be doing somewhat well. I see ads for it all the time. Epic fantasies. Yeah. Um, so, so there's definitely got to be an audience for it. I just don't know if I'm that person. Yeah. I think also the the issue that Audible or wherever you're listening to them at, especially on Audible, is you only, you get that one free book a month. But then if you are the kind of person that is that like person who will just chew through fantasy series – you got to wait to the next month to get the next book, unless you just buy it. But if you're yeah, kind of with the average cool, person man. that's using the free stuff, like you got to wait, even though if you're going through the wheel of time series, there's 14, 15 books or whatever it is. Like that's 15 months that you're going to be waiting to, to get through all that. Yeah. Yeah. Now I think that they are awesome for someone. Say for example, you drive a ton for your job. I, I think that that would be the way to do it. You know, because because you're yeah. driving, you're focusing on the road, but you're still able to focus quite a bit on the story aspect of it. Yeah, so that seems to be where it would be at home the best, probably. Yeah, they're definitely not built for short commuters. Yeah, no, no, not not at all. But it's still the story's great. I I think Sanderson's world building and uh, magic systems are. I mean, I from what I hear, he's the best at it. So I mean, it makes. It makes sense that it kind of makes you think like, oh gosh, I could never write fantasy, but <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but it's, uh, yeah, it's, so that's kind of what I'm working on, working through. Uh, and then, you know, I'm working on my projects, man. I'm, I'm hammering away at the Haggard Odyssey. This'll be posted a few weeks after, but I just got stuff on YouTube and I'm doing the videos and, you know, really kind of digging into this oral storytelling and, getting some feedback from my wife and she's telling me some things I can work on. So that's good. I'm, I'm, I'm in a good place, man. I'm, I'm having fun. It's awesome. Are you, so with the, the Haggard Odyssey, since, yeah. since I've got you here, um, okay. how's the, how's your process of coming up with these stories? Like, what do you, what do you do to come up with these? Yeah, this is uh so, so it depends. It depends on the story. So, 
if it's a story I have been telling for for years, something I've told people many a time. So so what I do is I always I always outline it. I always uh, get my introduction segment. So so how do I want to how do I want to hook you in? What is a common discussion point that you and I could have? For example, you know my up, upcoming episode. It's about getting something stolen from me, and so I'll start the episode off with with a discussion of, of theft and getting things stolen, trying to build some common ground, you know, with the the audience and trying to say, you know, and it stinks when you get things stolen, and you know, I want you to think about a time you've gotten something stolen because because oftentimes it comes with pain, and, and you know, I kind of go into this invitation side of it, and mm-hmm. so I kind of write down my thoughts on how I want to introduce and get hooked, and then what I do is I write down so I I know the story in my head. And I write down the beginning and I write down the middle and I write down the end. And then I have a conclusion. What, what is the lesson of the story? Mm. And I just kind of make very simple notes. And if it's something I'm comfortable with just kind of going at in free form telling it, I'll just, I'll just jump on the mic and record it. But, uh, what I, what I kind of like, what I found I like to do is actually this, this is going to sound really weird. People probably think I'm a weirdo on my commutes. Uh, because I got a 45 minute drive, I like to just turn the recorder on, on my phone and just, just do a practice run or two. And, uh, I'll listen back to it and I'll think like, ah, that didn't work. That worked. That didn't work. And so I'll kind of like self edit in my head. But, uh, if it's something I really kind of want to use specific language and kind of use, make sure I hit specific character names, I'll write out a script for it, but it depends. You know, sometimes I write out the script. Sometimes I don't, I, uh, I don't have a system but I don't know. I'd like to invite someone into my brain sometime because the stories are all just living there. And <laughs> right, right. And I'm just kind of, I'm just walking, I'm just walking the listener through. Like the, it's, it's there, it's in the mind. Hmm. But how, yeah. how's dictation working for you? Dictation? Like uh, d- you, during those commutes, man. Cause I can never, I can't do that. My creative process just, if I start to talk out my story or even try and talk out a chapter of a story, I just get in my own head. It's got to be paper or on the computer yeah. for me. Yeah, and well, since the medium is audio, since the medium's audio, and since I've been, so I've been doing this for a little bit. Even before doing the Haggard Odyssey, I'm very, I'm very comfortable in talking. So I have so so I kind of give a little background here. I um. I started off when I started off public speaking and preaching. I I wrote I wrote everything, everything I manuscripted everything, and I'm still a huge believer in manuscripts for most of your work. But I got so used to my creative process, it actually slowed it slowed me down to make manuscripts. So what I started doing was just recording myself. So I I record and then I listen back. Like I'm not I'm not using dictation. Because it's really inaccurate, and for me, it's kind of hard to read. Like it doesn't give you any punctuation or anything, and so I'm not as focused on that as just kind of getting a listenable format out there and then critiquing it. And then what I'll do is things that I might have forgotten, things that I leave out. I'll write down. I'll make notes of. Try and internalize those. Work those through the next time, and see where it goes. Hmm. So, so you've listened. You've listened to a few, like. You you could probably tell that there are certain parts that are very written and planned, and certain parts that are a little more free form. It's I think you can tell if you're paying close attention. But yeah, I mean, I, I I've been enjoying them. I'm sure 
those who have subscribed and are listening, like I, they're enjoying it too. It's I it, it's a storytelling and an art that I have always enjoyed, but I don't think there's much of out there. Like mm-hmm. just telling tall tales and having a moral lesson tied into them. Uh, it's something that I've always, like I said, I, I've enjoyed that. So I'm glad that you've been gifted with with that because I, it's bringing me a lot of joy. All right, Zach. Well, I think it's about time for us to sign off. We've been going for a bit here, and uh, we'll see you guys next time on Parallel Quest. This is Cody signing out. Zach, you want to say goodbye? Thanks for listening, guys. We'll see you uh, see you in the next episode. Thank you so much for hanging out with us during this episode of Parallel Quest. Please be sure to head over to steellakestudio.com to find out a little bit more about us and see all the other things that we make. You can check out our other podcast called The Haggard Odyssey. And we are going to be having some really sweet announcements coming up soon that we want to share with you. We want to thank Jake Butler for providing our bumper music. And we'll see you next time on Parallel Quest.